Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And we finally have found some time to talk about Super Bowl 51, and this certainly is a game that no one is going to forget anytime soon. It looked like it was uh, going to be one of those 80s-style routes early on, and then uh, the New England Patriots and Tom Brady come back from 25 down take the Super Bowl to overtime for the first time in the history of the game. And uh, if memory serves, it's the first time in nearly 60 years that the NFL's championship game has gone to overtime. And they win 34-28. to And uh, Tom Brady wins his fifth title, as does Bill Belichick. And uh, the Atlanta Falcons makes the Packers' loss to Seattle look like a loss in the preseason by comparison uh, in playoff collapses. Uh, But Matt, before we get into all this, we were texting prior to the game and I asked you what the score was. You said New England 34-28, so you got to get a little credit for that. Yeah, nailed it right on the head. I can't believe that's right, and obviously that's just dumb luck. I didn't have any insight anybody (laughs) else didn't have. Um, but yeah, that was kind of cool. I bragged about that a little bit on Monday at work. But yeah, uh, yeah, really weird game. Huh? It just it almost like going into it, it felt very much like a Super Bowl. But now, kind of in hindsight, looking back, and it's like that wasn't the Super Bowl, was it? Like with a weird <laughs> comeback and an overtime. It just it seems like it was just a, a random big game with a weird ending, like usual lately. Yeah, and I don't mean to be the guy to complain, but already the. All of the remarks were, well, Belichick's the best ever, slam dunk. Brady's the best ever, slam dunk. This was the best game ever, slam dunk. And I'm like, the people writing this probably can't remember before, like, 2010. And, yes, this was a spectacular game. I'm not going to say it that it wasn't. Um, and maybe this is just being kind of silly, but I don't really care that much about the Atlanta Falcons. I was irritated because I, I hate that uh, New England now gets all this praise heaped upon them when, uh, you know, they, they deserve a lot of it. But it, a lot of it goes into the way Atlanta played down the stretch and some lucky bounces New England got, which is fine. I mean, you shouldn't have to apologize for that. But um, these types of comebacks are happening all the time lately. It's The NFL is becoming N- NBA-esque, where unless you have a 35-point lead with five minutes to play, no lead is safe. And that's certainly nothing the Patriots have to apologize for, but sorry as a fan of a long, long time uh, that I'm not as impressed by this had I, uh, or as I would have been if somebody had done this 20 years ago. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. I, we've been seeing a lot of these major turnarounds happen lately, and obviously we saw it firsthand two years ago against Seattle, but more and more in the NFL we're, we're seeing what seems to be improbable comebacks, and it feels like when they're two good teams, if it, the comeback doesn't happen, it at least comes very close to happening, and they, maybe mm-hmm. that team loses by just a few points. Mm-hmm. It does seem that, you know, it, it's crazy to think of a game with a, a tale of two halves like that, whereas one team was completely dominant in the first half by that much, and for it to completely switch in the second half to, for the other team to be dominant by that much mm-hmm. just 
even by the comeback standards of late, that's still very, very unusual for the, one team to be so, so dominant and then that to completely flip-flop. Well, sort of, because... But Seattle, to that extent, yeah. I mean, New England looked like they weren't going to be able to get, a, you know, 100 yards on the day. And then on top of that, their defense was was immaculate in that first half. And then everything crumbled as much as you could possibly crumble. And, and, and yes, so there was that, but also what? It was a 38-10 or 31-10 comeback by the Colts three years ago. The Packers had their collapse. Seattle was down 31 nothing to Carolina and almost won that game a year ago. Then you had Dallas down 28-3, to and they almost beat the Packers. I mean, it again, I'm not trying to say New England has to apologize for this, but teams do this constantly, and I think it's because everybody's defense sucks and everybody in the playoffs has a halfway decent quarterback. Yeah, it's it's unfathomable that this keeps happening to good teams. I mean, you could give the easy explanation, well, prevent defense, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I, I don't know if I can explain it or really anybody can. I mean, it seems to be mostly that when a team wants to just spread it out and throw it like crazy, they can just do it at will. It's like maybe teams just need to do that the entire games, and which is going to completely ruin the NFL yeah. um, with no balance. But you feel like, you know... Tom Brady could just sit back there in the shotgun all day and just throw these little seven-yard passes constantly, and they'd never be able to be stopped. Yeah, and which is essentially what they did for the end of the game, mostly. And he ended up throwing the ball 62 times, which has to... Actually, I think Jim Kelly had 61 in uh, Super Bowl... What was that? 26 against the Washington Redskins. So I think at least it was a close, but... Um, ends up with 466 yards passing, which absolutely obliterates Kurt Warner's 414 from Super Bowl 34, uh, the Rams' victory over the Titans. But uh, interestingly enough, that game, still the last time that the league's MVP has won the Super Bowl, with Matt Ryan going down yesterday, Cam Newton's gone down, Sean Alexander, Rich Gannon, um, Kurt Warner, two years after he won it. So uh, that's kind of been the kiss of death in recent years. Um, And I thought for... Well, certainly everybody thought halfway through the fourth quarter that this was finally going to be the time that uh, the MVP and uh, the Falcons were going to get their turn. Yeah, and it was basically when you texted me and you, you said, I give you credit for this too, because you said you just feel like the Patriots are going to come back and win this game still. And I think it was like a probably, what, 25-point game at that point or, yeah. or, or something. And I'm just like... I said no way to you, and it, as soon as I hit send on that, I was like, oh my god, I said something very similar in that Pat, Packers-Seahawks game two years ago. The Patriots are going to win now, and it just, it, it's such a bizarre feeling when you know that a team is still down by 16 points, but you know they're going to make up those 16 points. Yeah. You, like, you just knew it was going to happen. You knew those two-point conversions were going to go in, and there was nothing that Atlanta could do to stop it, much like we felt against Seattle that day. Yeah, and again, you have to give the credit to the Patriots, but it's... It's one of those weird things where I don't have a problem understanding the team that is coming back because it's easy to start believing in momentum and things like that, but it's amazing how many different teams seem to be so fragile as the team ahead. Why all of a sudden can you not do anything and your coaches are not being aggressive or or deviating from their super successful game plan? And just panicking when you're still up by like 18. And I know they've seen the games like we have, but... These are the elite of the elite. You're telling me you can't string together a nice little drive and, and put the game away? It just seems ridiculous. And, and the Falcons did that against the Packers, but uh, weren't able to do it against New England. Yeah, it's, it's weird in that we've heard our entire lives that you know a lot of sports commentators and former athletes always talk about how momentum is kind of a myth. But it almost seems like in these games there's nothing more important than that <laughs> yeah. these days. It's, 
it's once you get that that score to get yourself back on track and you have the momentum. Literally, everything goes wrong for that other team. Um, you know, Brandon Bostic botched onside kick, weird toss up plays to Owen Wilson. You know, or Owen Wilson, Luke. Um, who was it? Luke <laughs> yeah, Wilson, his, yeah. <laughs> his brother. Um, <laughs> but it's same in this game too. It's like there was. Every jump ball went to the Patriots. Everything that could have possibly went wrong for the Falcons did. And it's just bizarre that literally every single jump ball, every single bobbled play just winds up in one team's favor. Yeah, and that's kind of and, – and here's where I want to go with this. And um, we could talk about the Falcons' collapse. Uh, a lot of people are getting on uh, Kyle Shanahan. And that one drive that really could have iced it, they had – I don't – I can't remember it in particular it seems like the football season's been over three weeks or uh, two months already Uh, it's only been a couple of days but they had the ball down I think at the Patriot 25 or so and then they tried to keep passing and it ended up in a sack and some holding Uh, so it looks like it was on um let's see they had first and 10 at the New England 22 they tried to run with Devontae Freeman he lost a yard then on second and 11 from the New England 23, they try to throw, and Matt Ryan is sacked for a 12-yard loss. Then they have a holding penalty, and then it's an incomplete pass, and they have to punt. If they literally take two knees there, they kick a field goal, they go up 11 with um, three minutes and change, and if they run it twice, it's probably down to about three minutes. And so then all of a sudden the game is 31-20, to 20, and I think that, I don't know if they would have, won the game having seen and uh, the discussion we just had how many times that even that doesn't seem to be enough with that much time left on the clock but wow that was a bizarre set of events uh, that the Falcons really did to themselves yeah it sure was and I think it it is a a strange thing to want to throw it there but you can definitely get it too because that's how they got down the field the run game had been kind of stuffed by New England you want to do what's working and that's always the thing you rip on teams for running three times in a row when they're being conservative because it doesn't work yeah so I I think it's you know I don't have a huge gripe with the play calls and things like that but as as Matt Ryan obviously you can't take that sack there I think that's where he's getting a lot of criticism too is if you run that play obviously it has to be embedded in your mind that you can't ever take a sack in that situation you've got to have a check down option or a throwaway option too that was obviously killer you would think that considering the Patriots scored to tie it with 50 seconds left and the Falcons got it back that that 11 point lead was probably insurmountable but who knows the Patriots probably recover an onside kick and kick a field goal so return it for a touchdown and win in regulation yeah. so it definitely still wouldn't have been over but you would think that that would have been that obviously puts your increases your chances like tenfold yeah, and and I agree. And they had been passing the ball well, and you know they'd been on a roll, seldom seen in the NFL the last two months with how good their offense had been. But still, Devontae Freeman was rushing for almost seven yards a carry, and in my opinion, had Atlanta been able to win, he would have been the MVP of this game. And so you don't give him a second try. I know it's second and eleven, but at least you make the Patriots use the rest of their timeouts. And um, yeah, it's just strange. And certainly that sequence of events you shouldn't have let them get that close in the first place to even make it a game I mean you're up by 25 you should find other ways to win the game other than that but um, yeah strange set of events but here's what I was alluding to before before I got sidetracked the turn of events here so you have a team like this who makes some very confusing play calls and then has holding and knocks them out of field goal range and all of these different things then you have what should have been the game-losing interception that gets bounced up into the air, and Julian Edelman catches it over three different guys. You score, you get two two-point conversions, then you win the coin toss. 
These, again, are not things the Patriots have to be apologizing for. But when all of these lazy sports writers, and Joe Buck was starting right after the game, well, it's clear now Brady's the best. Are people going to remember these types of plays? Or are they just going to say, five rings, instead of actually watching the games and realizing that, no, Brady's pretty darn close to also being one in five in the Super Bowl? Yeah, so I, that's a good point. I mean, literally the, the most chancy thing in the history of the world, a coin flip, could have determined whether he won that Super Bowl or not because you would think Atlanta has a pretty good shot at going down and scoring right away too. Yeah. Um, I, I think we definitely are aware that maybe in some of these games Brady hasn't been you know elite. Aaron Rodgers at his apex, 500 yards and five touchdowns. But I think at the same point, I mean, luck goes into every single Super Bowl championship. So if, you know, you win five, that's more than anybody. And I think that's kind of why that puts him there in that. And, I mean, he did it by making a monstrous comeback. So it's not like he had no part in that, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I've heard a lot of people kind of saying what you're saying. And I I think maybe if I hadn't been hearing that argument, I might be making it. But I just kind of find myself on the other side of things saying that, you know, there's no reason why he's not better than anybody, although I didn't get a chance to see Joe Montana as much um, or some of those guys. But there's there's no reason to argue against him and being the best that at least I've ever seen. And, you know, talent-wise, we've talked about that. He's probably not Aaron Rodgers, but he's accomplished a hell of a lot more. So he's put his team in a position to get to the Super Bowl this many times. He's won five of them. So, I, you know, I'm not going to make the argument against him. I'm not ready to definitively say he's the best ever, but I'm not going to argue anybody that does. That's the difference. So I agree wholeheartedly that he's an acceptable answer as the number one quarterback of all time. This is not to say that he's not a great, great player. But to deem the argument over, which is what I have read, is what pisses me off. There's no reason to have sports talk yeah. then. Don't Michael Jordan him. And that it's my biggest pet peeve in the world about sports talk right now is the Michael Jordan effect. Nobody's even willing to have that debate. LeBron James has been to the NBA Finals six straight years. He's beaten the Spurs. He's beaten the greatest team ever, arguably. And he beat Oklahoma City when they still had Westbrook and they had Durant and they had Harden. And nobody even wants to consider that he might even be as good as Michael Jordan. And that's what I'm worried about happening to Tom Brady. If you say he's the best ever, that's a perfectly acceptable answer. But the debate isn't over because there's so much else that goes into it. And it's even more so when you're talking a football player rather than a basketball player. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think part of the reason might be for for the quarterback thing is people are so desperate to do that to a player and find the greatest of all time. And there really wasn't a definitive answer before. So these guys are licking their chops at the opportunity of Tom Brady winning a fifth championship. And I think that, I think we talked about this before that I had said that, you know, you just felt like it was the next level in all these guys' minds that yeah. right, he's got this one, he's just as good as Montana. If he gets another one, he's definitely the best. So let's just wait till that happens and then to just immediately say it. And like you said, Joe Buck said it right away and a whole bunch of other people said it right away. Yep, it's over. He's the best now. And I don't think, you know, especially from generation to generation, as much as we love having this argument, I think it's still open. I don't know if you could, you're never going to be able to definitively say somebody was the best ever um, at, yeah. at the quarterback position just because it's changed so much from decade to decade. Unless somebody comes in and wins 10 straight, I, I don't think that that question is really ever over. Yeah, well, and I think reasonable people who know more about the NFL than uh, NFL Network talks about, which is about since 2012, I think agree that with that assessment. But the problem is that nobody really goes in depth. And as I, I've joked before, we have more sports talk on the air than ever before. And almost all of it is Tom Brady's the best because, I mean, come on. You know, yeah. and if you're only going to go in that depth, well, then I guess I have no reason to 
ever watch another second of uh, sports talk television or listen to another second of sports talk radio ever again if you're going to be that lazy and just uh, deem it over because of all this stuff. I mean, half of the people that are talking about it, I think, are people that legitimately haven't, and especially younger people our age, I bet you people our age that are having sports talk shows and doing all this stuff, they've probably never seen Joe Montana throw a ball outside of uh, NFL films, and that doesn't count. Everybody looks great on there. Well, and as you mentioned, and, and this thing is, it's not a knock on Brady, and it's not his fault either, but I, you just look at the situation. You watch those two guys play, and you probably would say watching tape Aaron Rodgers is the better quarterback, but he's Brady's been clearly surrounded by better talent and much better coaching. I mean, arguably the best coach of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more ready to maybe say that that's the case before I would say the quarterback thing. Um, and he's yeah. been surrounded by that. And so, you know, he's just put in those positions to be that. So, he's you know, he's not the most talented or, or the greatest performing quarterback of all time. But, unfortunately, those things all do count, and you don't get discounted because of that. So, yeah. uh, you know, it... it and it's, and it's, he shouldn't be discounted, I don't think. And and to, to the Montana argument, I think if you just watch the two, they look incredibly similar. But they're in 1988 or whatever, when Montana's, you know, playing some of his best, 1989... You know, the other quarterbacks that are going to the Pro Bowl are Phil Sims and Warren Moon and these guys who certainly are good, but they don't look anywhere close to as good as Montana. And you watch Brady play, and then you're like, well, Breezes is good, and Mannings is good, and Rodgers is as good, and when he's good, Andrew Luck is as good, and Romo's been as good some years. I mean, there was no... The other guys winning Super Bowls are Doug Williams and Phil Simms and Jim McMahon around that time, and Montana looks like a guy who's been ripped right out of 2016 and dropped in the 80s. Right. Um, but, but that doesn't mean I think he's... I still think you've you got to get credit for getting your team to the playoffs every year. If there's the strongest argument for Tom Brady, it's that he never loses fewer than four games a season. And I think that it's it's partially teammates, but the reason he's going to the Super Bowl more than anybody else is because he never leaves home. As I said, he he's left home twice since 2007 and lost both games. So he's great because he never has an off week, and that's worth something as well. Right. Okay, um, let's talk about Belichick because we had a lot of people wanting to talk about that. Uh, talking about him being the greatest ever, and it's been a much longer um, stretch, and he's certainly been great. It's hard for a Packer fan to say that he's in the Lombardi category just because Lombardi was so consistent, but it was a different era. It was a shorter period of time. Um, You could keep your talent. You had more tools in the bag to keep your talent. Uh, So, I mean, Belichick's certainly in the argument. I... I don't know if I would say he's better than Lombardi, uh, but it's certainly uh, he's he's up there. He's an elite company. I mean, you got to throw guys too. Like, I think people already are talking about how great Belichick is, and they forgot about uh, the five and eleven year with Drew Bledsoe and his abysmal time with the Cleveland Browns. I mean, that all gets brushed under the rug, uh, but he's certainly in the argument. Yeah, and I think, uh, although I I may not say flat-out best coach of all time because I think there have been more influential coaches such as, you know, uh, Lombardi or Shula, etc., but I think, or Bill Walsh especially in there too, but I think I, I am probably ready to state that he's probably the best schemer of all time. Um, it just when you look at what he's done specifically in today's game with uh, most of those guys I mentioned didn't have the free agency, so that's 
been a little extra thing that he's had to deal with. I mean, building through the draft, and you look at these rosters, and you never look at them and say, like, oh, my gosh, they're like they're the 70s Steelers or the 60s Packers or the 80s Niners, you know, just these dominant teams. It just seems like he's got a quarterback and some nice pieces that are always consistent. Yeah. And it just seems like no matter what, you look at the halftime of this game and how much they must have changed um, and changed their scheming to turn that game around like that. And, you know, I, I give, I think – most credit, not that I take anything away from Brady, but I think I put most credit for this dynasty on Belichick and what he's done. So I think what he's been able to do in this time period with so many other good teams and good quarterbacks, but to be this consistent and great all the time is, I think, the best ever. Yeah, and it's hard to argue against that. Um, I, I feel like there are a few that get forgotten. For me, if you're talking about schemers with all different kinds of talent, if not for one off day in January of 1983, I think a lot of people would realize how great Joe Gibbs was as a head coach. Sure. To and win I with think the anybody. coming back thing hurts him too. I think so, but I mean, is that any different than stinking up the joint in Cleveland for five years? No, like, probably not, except for the fact that that's not the lasting image. With Joe Gibbs, all I can remember is just an old guy on crappy Redskins teams just looking like he was way out of his, his comfort zone and out of his league in that. Whereas, you know, I was alive in the 80s, but I we remembered those Joe Gibbs teams sort of at the end there, but we've seen, yeah, you know, for the Browns for, what, a year or two, and then now it's the lasting image is this dynasty. So I think it kind of works in in the reverse fashion there. No, he was in Cleveland for four years. He went 7-9 and nine three times and then went to the playoffs once. And, yes, I agree, those Joe Gibbs teams of the 2000s weren't good. They still went to the playoffs tw- two times in the four years he was there. Mm-hmm. So, um, But I'm, I'm just saying that these are the kinds of arguments that we're not going to have anymore because people are too damn lazy to actually learn anything about NFL history. Um, and, and that bothers me. But I think... The thing for Belichick is total package, the fact that he's his own general manager, and he's won Super Bowls with two very distinct uh, talent cycles and had an undefeated team that lost in the Super Bowl with pretty much a different talent cycle from the other two, so that certainly is in his favor. So if, if you want to go coach combo GM um, outside of Lombardi, I don't think there's anybody that's really even close. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just want to, that's what I'm trying to emphasize. I just really want to keep having these discussions because otherwise, what's the point if, if you just have to say, oh, Patriots are the best? I mean, that's just boring. Okay, before we go to some of the other stuff in the Super Bowl, because a lot of what we had been talking about has been alluded to to some of our great, or by some of our great fans on the Facebook page. So uh, each, uh, we had four comments from four of our great greatest fans. And uh, I don't want to read all these word for word because you all put in um, um, great comments, but uh, again, as uh, we've found out on some of these other shows, that I'm not the best reader when I'm trying to read really fast on what you've written on Facebook. But I did read all the comments, and I selected a few uh, excerpts from each of yours that I would like Matt and I to discuss. Uh, first, Eric Hansen uh, writes a comment, and in there he has, Bill Belichick is now definitely the greatest coach in NFL history. It's not only the constant success that he's had, but it's also the way he's done it with different players and a different staff almost every year. I don't see an argument for anyone else as the best coach of all time that's better uh, than the one for Belichick. Um, so, I mean, we kind of just had that discussion. I mean, definitive or definitely is a little strong for me. Uh, you seemed more towards Eric's point than I did. Would you say definitely? I wouldn't say definitely. I, I think that's again kind of impossible to say definitely. But uh, you know, he he may say definitely. That's his argument. But you know, I think like you said, just being open to hearing other things too. It's just. Different different coaches have done different things great, but total package, I mean, you look at his resume, it's, it's hard to argue it, I'll say that. Um, but, but 
but I still I wouldn't say definitely, but I he'd definitely be in my top three. Sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. No no doubt about that one. Uh, he adds, finally, my heart goes out to Atlanta fans. I mean, the Packers have had some heartbreaking losses, but man, that one has to feel 10,000 times worse than any of them. So sorry, Falcons fans. I hope you win one someday. I think that also maybe gives us a reminder of just how lucky we are as Packer fans and how we sometimes get spoiled and can forget how fortunate we actually are to have seen the team we cheer for do all of the great things they have over the past few decades. That's all from me. Have a nice offseason, everyone. So thank you, Eric. I hope you enjoy your offseason as well. I joked about it in the intro about this being um, so bad that it almost makes the Packers 2014s feel like a preseason loss uh, in the NFC Championship game. Obviously, I don't mean that, but I cannot think of a playoff loss or any loss in the history of professional football and perhaps in pro sports um, off the top of my head that is that bad. Yeah, and I think... To multiply that to you're a franchise that's never won a championship, and you yeah. had it. And I mean, if if that happens to a team like the Packers or the Steelers or something, it, it's devastating, and we're we're pissed off for months, and we can't get over it. But we've at least got a history, and you've got some stuff in your back pocket. Whereas you finally made it when you're the Falcons. If you're a dedicated fan of that team and have stuck through all of this to see that come and happen on Sunday, you got to think about just hanging it up. I mean, it's. <laughs> It's that crushing of a defeat, and you, you saw there was like nobody there when the plane got back into Atlanta. It's just I can believe that, and I can I can kind of understand that as a fan um, that you've had so little success in your team's history. You've made it to two Super Bowls. The first one you knew you didn't really have a chance. This one you're up by four touchdowns, and you, you can't hold on. I just I have a hard time fathoming how you come back from that. Yeah, and you wonder with Matt Ryan how hard he worked to get to this that you don't. In his mind, you just decide it's never going to happen for me. I, yeah, I guess trying to think, the only other ones that maybe come close are, is the NFC Championship game loss in 1998 for the Vikings worse for Vikings fans than this for Falcons fans? No way. I don't think so. Really? That's, well, it's close, but even still, that's not the Super Bowl, though, either. I I think that definitely multiplies yeah. it, but they weren't up 28. I mean, they lose no. a heartbreaking game against a team they should have beat to go to a Super Bowl they felt like they should have won. Well, Atlanta still... fans also didn't spend two months being the best team, perhaps, of all time, and then losing. Right. But, yeah, I don't know. I think just because, I think just the manner in which they lost. The, the Vikings lose a heartbreaking game, but they didn't have it wrapped up. I mean, that was a dogfight the whole game, and you just lose it. Um where, I, I don't know, I think you lost to a pretty good team that day, whereas on Sunday the Falcons had it wrapped up. I mean, it should have been over. There's no fathomable reason that that should have gone away, and they somehow allowed the big, one of the biggest collapses ever. Yeah, I, I, I still think the Falcons one is worse, but I, I think the, the Minnesota one might be closer into the ballpark than I initially thought. I think they were up 20-7 to at one point, and in 1998, 20-7 to is 28-10 to practically in modern times. Yeah, that, and that's obviously a horrible one. I, you obviously think about the Oilers comeback, um, or the the Bills comeback against the Oilers, and although that's a wild card game too, I mean that was basically a franchise crippling loss. I mean, they never yeah. really rebounded from that, and then they were gone a couple years later. So that that one kind of sticks in my mind for just from recent memory. But um, what about Aaron that, Boone beating the Red Sox in Game Seven? I mean, granted, you have to forget what happened the next year, but for that off season. Aaron Boone's walk-off against the Red Sox after they, with Pedro Martinez, blowing a 5-2 to two lead in the bottom of the eighth inning in a World Series they probably would have won. 
Yeah, I think that one's up there, too. I don't think, really, we're going to find anything that tops that. So I, I think these are basically all just contenders. And you even look at, like, the uh, the NBA Finals Series last year where you're up 3-1. to one. Yeah. Um, but y- your team had just won one the year before. So there seems to be all these caveats to all these that make them not quite as bad. And I don't think we're going to find one worse than the Falcons lost. Yeah, probably not. So at least both Falcons fans can, you know... <laughs> they, they can get over it together. See, that's the thing is, like, you know there's a lot of fair fair weather ones and you feel not so bad for them, but there are undoubtedly thousands and thousands of, of diehard ones that have been there since the 70s and have witnessed everything and have been through all this pain. Yeah, and no, I know. That's that's who I'm feeling it for bad. Um, and probably not to mention, too, the people who put a lot of money on Atlanta or the under and it looked like it was wrapped <laughs> up after halftime and all of a sudden you're out, you're out all the money that you lost. I don't have any sympathy for anybody who bets the under because I can't imagine a more miserable time than watching a game in which I've bet the <laughs> under. You, you, any yeah. Anytime anything happens, it's probably not fun. Right. So bet the over. If you're going to bet over-under, always bet the over just because it'll make the game more interesting to watch. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, Omade Mousley uh, comments. Brady has probably won the best quarterback ever argument. Don't punish a guy for going to the Super Bowl. I'd rather be 5-2 and two than 4-0. and oh. It shows that you are truly a consistent power, even when dominant teams change a lot. So there's definitely a fair argument to that. Again, um, I think one in, in your case maybe means you think he's the best ever, which is certainly um, an acceptable answer. I just don't want the debate to be over. That's That's all I was saying. And he says, for Atlanta, I guess the moral of their season can be defined in two words, too soon. They got really lucky and weren't prepared to deal with the chance of a title. They have the talent, but didn't have the experience needed to close it out. I guarantee New England will be back in the Super Bowl next year, and Atlanta will be out of the playoffs. Hopefully they won't lose their confidence and implode like Carolina. So uh, what do you think about that, Matt, that maybe the Falcons will be back, or uh, do you think this might have been kind of their chance and they maybe outperformed their actual skill level this year? I, I think your general sense is that they'll be back, but they do. I thought of this as soon as that game was over, because you think about this almost every year now because it always happens, that they definitely seem like one of those teams that's not going to come back. Uh, next yeah. year they're probably going to miss the playoffs because we – I mean, even with Carolina last year, we, we thought that, oh, yeah, this team's here to stay. They're, and Denver, too. It's crazy. It seems to happen all the time. You can't uh, you can't think that it's going to happen because they look so darn good, and you're used to seeing this classic game, and these teams look so good. It just happens so frequently. You can't count it out. And they're a team that's already been very inconsistent. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not going to be shocked at all if they go 7-9 or 8-8 and, eight and, eight and don't make the playoffs. Yeah, it's not like this current group of Falcons has a long line of winning behind them. They hadn't made the playoffs in a number of years, I think since 2012 uh, until this year. So it's not like they were Seattle or something like that that had been in the playoffs every single year. And for me, um, the big talk all leading up to the Super Bowl was how young this Falcons defense was, how young a lot of the the players on offense were. I'm not that worried about the offense. I think they're going to be a force. But when you talk about that defense, yeah, they're young, and everybody always assumes when they're talking about these teams that have been winning recently that a young team means they'll develop and get better. Well, we had an incredibly young defense in 2010 that free fall uh, after the Super Bowl, and I know they had some injuries, but they were never as good as they were in 2010, and quite frankly, they weren't even close to as good as they were in 2010 ever again, and that is just as likely to happen as the, the defense improving and getting better. 
Yeah, and they're they're young, but they're not very good either. So yeah. it's you know it's not like a young Packers defense that was one of the best in the league. They were like twenty seventh, and then showed their true colors in the second half there. So they may be young, but that doesn't mean that they're a good young. They could you could sign a bunch of unrestricted free agents out of college, and you're young, but it doesn't make yeah. you good. Well, and they had been on a little bit of a hot streak, but yeah, they kind of reverted to form in the Super Bowl. It's it's a bit different than when you have a team like the Packers who. Uh, were number two in the NFL in scoring defense and had been really good all year. And then, uh, so, yeah, I, I have, the what happened to the Packers is more likely to happen to Atlanta than that defense ever becoming any good. Mm-hmm. All right, Corey Bend says, screw this game, always and forever. I don't care how exciting it was for everyone else. This game actually got my hopes up that the Patriots would lose and then made me endure an absolutely miserable final hour. This was worse than watching the Packers lose two weeks ago. Now, every lazy ring counter in sports media will declare Brady the greatest ever and Belichick the best coach ever, and no one will ever be allowed to reasonably disagree again unless some other coach combo comes along and wins five Super Bowls. And I shared that sentiment quite strongly right after the game. Um, I will disagree that it was not worse than watching the Packers lose two weeks ago. Um, maybe it was more sudden and in a moment, like right after James White scored, I was pretty irritated, but, uh, I, I can handle lazy sports fans because there have been a lot of them for every other topic, uh, that didn't include the greatest quarterback ever, uh, prior to the Super Bowl. So I can still live with that more than, uh, seeing the Packers get the, the crap kicked out of them. Oh yeah, for sure. And I was hardcore on the the Falcons bandwagon coming into this game, but I just when they're up by that much, you, I was kind of just you know in the back of your head you want it to at least be a game so it's entertaining. And then New England starts doing that, and I I really despite the cheating and despite the constant success and kind of being irritated by that, I have a hard time like really hating that team. You know, I, I clearly have I always root against them in the Super Bowl, other than against Seattle. Um, but when they win it, it's not like you can hate them for it. I mean, they they came back and scored all those points, and they had a miraculous comeback. It's just like, it's it's frustrating. But I don't find that obviously nearly as as painful as a Packers loss. But I know there's a lot of people out there that hate New England way more than I do. Yeah, I'm one of those people. I I don't <laughs> loathe them, but I was thoroughly enjoying watching them squirm and and make sad faces on the sidelines when it looked like they were going to get destroyed and I was looking forward to the opportunity for them to get knocked off their pedestal and then the stupid Falcons had to have the worst collapse in sports history Mm -hmm. all right and Daniel Johnson says Atlanta players coaches and fans will look at this one for years and wonder why every questionable play call in the last 23 minutes of regulation I wonder about each of those each one was so impactful and uh, both Corey Ben and Daniel Johnson mentioned how they were happy for uh, former Badger James White, who uh, I guess I'm happy for him too, but I'm one of those jerks that once you leave Wisconsin, I still enjoyed that you were in Wisconsin, but I don't really care what happens to you in the pros. Yeah, I'm probably somewhere in between that. I, I wouldn't say I don't care, but usually those guys are, you know, we've got kind of a bad record of some of these guys <laughs> coming out and just like trying to root for them after they're out. I just... I don't know, J.J. Watt's great, but he's just kind of a tool sometimes, and <laughs> Russell Wilson is like the ultimate tool, and it's just like, and James White's on the Patriots, they always seem to go to like the Vikings or somebody you don't like, so it, it gets hard to cheer for him, but I guess, it, although I wasn't like, oh yeah, Badgers, when he scored, it's at least maybe a small silver lining in that, and that he had such an impact on that game, so that was pretty cool to see. Yeah, and I liked James White, I mean, he was so gr- uh, gracious when he would have started on a lot of other teams, and he shared carries with Monty Ball, and then he kind of got leapfrogged a little bit by Melvin Gordon, so um, I'm okay with you know him, and he, he's probably one of the Badgers I like more, although, like you said, he's on the Patriots. At least uh, he's probably better than we'll uh, like T.J. Watt next year when he's cheap-shotting people on the Steelers. Yeah. Um, all right, and then... 
I know teams should play some defense. This is another Jan- Daniel Johnson um, remark. I know teams should play some defense, but I think after this they should change the overtime rules, at least for the playoffs. I think this game pushes Belichick into the greatest coach of all time. It's tough to see this thing happen, thinking what the Packers could be if we had a defense to help out Rodgers. Uh, certainly, if you had to have a luck index, and this goes back to the quarterback argument, and I think I made this two weeks ago, that Aaron Rodgers is every bit as good as Tom Brady, and he just has like a, if there's a luck index, his luck index is like negative 45, and Brady's is like a plus 30. Yeah, and the Patriots sure seem to manufacture luck too, so it's, Brady's is unusual, but again, it goes back to, you know, putting a better team around him, it kind of helps create that luck, whereas we obviously know what Aaron Rodgers has got a lot less around him. Yeah, they do create some luck, but also, you know, if you don't want to talk about the negative luck, Aaron Rodgers is one of two quarterbacks in the history of the NFL to lose a playoff game in which he scored 45 points. So, uh, But again, that goes back to building a poor defense around him, too. Yeah, but that's not his fault. He's not making those choices. Oh, no, absolutely not. But I'm saying that's less luck and more front office and coaching. Yeah, but that's an advantage Brady has over Aaron Rodgers. I'm not comparing yeah, the two I, teams. I, agree. I completely agree with that. I guess I'm just not calling it luck. Oh, I, I'm saying if just I'm not saying the Patriots are lucky. Tom Brady is lucky for being on the Patriots more so okay. than Rodgers being on the Packers. That's what gotcha. I'm saying. Okay. Um, what about the playoff rules? Do they need to be reassessed for uh, overtime now that, um, or what? I think the inverse of what I just said: overtime rules yep. being reassessed for playoffs uh, now that we see teams with quite regular um, regularity scoring on that first drive with a touchdown. Uh, I'm kind of indifferent on it, I guess. I'd, that It's a really frustrating way to watch the game end, like what we had to see against the Cardinals last year, and then if you're cheering uh, for the Falcons on Sunday to see that happen, it's super frustrating that your team doesn't get on the field, but at the same time, don't have an, an awful defense that allows somebody to march straight down the field and score a touchdown on you. You can allow a field goal, and you're still fine. It's like you shouldn't allow a touchdown on the drive that easily to happen. And maybe I'd like to see the second team get a shot still to maybe score a touchdown or or they're done. But I, that would maybe be the only change I would make, but I don't really have a huge problem with it. Yeah, I feel like in the playoffs that I could be swayed, and um, you know, I, I've complained about the overtime rules all the time, but... When was the last time an overtime game in the playoffs had both teams touch the ball? I mean, it's been a while, even with this new rule. And granted, two of the losses were Packer ones, but who wouldn't have wanted to have seen Aaron Rodgers get another shot with the ball in 14 or 15 or Matt Ryan, the league MVP, get another shot in the Super Bowl? Yeah. Um, All right, so I guess thank you, everyone, for those great comments. Um, we've talked about this game a lot, and I'm sure there's been much said in the previous two days uh, that we weren't able to do a podcast. Here's one thing I wanted to talk about, Matt. Uh, we always talk about the cultural aspect of the Super Bowl, and we've both agreed many times on this podcast that one of the good things, if not the only good thing, about the Packers losing prior to the Super Bowl is that you kind of get to take it in as the cultural American event that it is. I don't want to get too down this rabbit hole because we're uh, you know, not that kind of podcast and it goes crazy um, in our world today. But for me, it really bothered me that advertisers and the networks and even our president and a whole bunch of different areas decided that not even the Super Bowl can have a few hours where we're not dominated by politics and it's getting exhausting to be a part of the American culture the last few months. 
Yeah, it, that's right. I mean, it, it is such an onus on people now that have a platform. You need to use it, and everybody's using it, whether it's a small company that just buys a commercial or whoever. I, I kind of agree. It's like there was no funny commercials this year. Everything had a had had a statement in it, even for like companies that uh, like I don't know if you watched the that whole rest of that lumber eighty four thing with the immigrants coming into America. I did it's not like, watch it, but I know what happened. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I thought that was a cool commercial, but it was like it was for a lumber company. It's like that's really <laughs> strange. Why does <laughs> like, a lumber think, company have to take a stand on immigration? Right. It was a great commercial, and it's like I completely agree with everything they're saying. But at the same point, too, it's like why are you guys making a stand on this, and why right now? I guess it's just to get people talking about your company. So you wanted to make a stand in a commercial like that. So yeah, yeah, it's a it is exhausting. I agree with you there. I, I just wanted some football, but at least it there wasn't people standing up making protests during play or anything like that. The game itself was pretty much still just the game. Well, and it really is disheartening to me because I'm I'm a really um, a news and a politics buff and. Just the next day, you had people on the left going crazy because Lady Gaga didn't do anything political, and then you had people on the right both making fun of people on the left for saying that about Gaga and then freaking out about a couple of commercials that addressed immigration. It's like, is everybody in seventh grade nowadays? Yeah, and even though she didn't you know, blatantly make a public statement there, it, there were still people digging into some of the things that she said, and she obviously did that "Born That Way" song that talks about kind of like the yeah. LGBT stuff, and like yeah. uh, we're we're talking and just trying to find something like, "Oh, she sure did make a stand. You just weren't watching." It's like, who the hell cares? Like, she was just <laughs> singing her songs. We don't have to dig into whether there was a statement or not. If it's not obvious or blatant, maybe she just didn't, and that that's fine. People don't always have to make a stand on everything. Most people aren't equipped to to make a knowledgeable stand against stuff, so it, not yeah. everybody should be forced to do it. Yeah, that last comment it should be uh, important to all of us to realize that we don't really know everything about all of these issues. So maybe take some venom out of it and try to just, you know, read some more and think some more before you decide that you know how the world works. I think. And we, we just like rely on these athletes and entertainers to be the ones that make stands because they have a platform. But you look at a lot of these guys are, you know, a lot of these people aren't college educated or sometimes even high school educated and are so busy with what they're doing that they don't have time to look into politics. Yeah. But yet we're forcing them to make a stand a statement when there's a lot of people who are more well equipped to be doing things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe we should uh, lean on them and all, uh, uh, I don't know, just stop being so crazy and overreacting every day to everything that your perceived uh, political opponents are doing because I can feel myself as someone who likes to try to stay involved, and I know you're that way too. You're, you're a graduate with a history major and you know try to keep abreast of all these things that are going on, and I feel like I'm going to age like the presidents do over the course of uh, the next several years just because there's so much going on. It's it's like I'm going to look like I aged 30 years like Obama and George W. Bush did going through their eight years of the presidency. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so uh, um, that, to me, if we wanted to talk about the different cultural aspects of the Super Bowl, that that is definitely the one that uh, I'll remember the most about this Super Bowl. And uh, hopefully uh, by next year we'll be uh, settled down and uh, we can uh, have some more. I, I mean, where were the Doritos ads? They're usually dumb, but, gosh, I'd miss the Doritos ads. Yeah, there was like no Doritos, no regular Budweiser stuff. I think I, I had read something that the, the spots were so expensive these days that these companies are just not deciding to do it, which I always wondered why they still were for a company like those, like those companies to be dropping that much money when everybody already knows your brand. It just seems pointless. Yeah, nobody was sitting around going, oh, yeah, uh, Budweiser. Uh, never heard of that. I, I yeah. Should. 
Bush Light, or not Bush Light, but Bush Beer got some ads, though, which I know is still uh, the Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch, but that's funny to think that they, obviously they sell a lot, but Bush Beer, in my mind, is the 60-year-old guy with a 30-pack on each arm on Friday afternoon in the the grocery store line. For sure. (laughs) But it was weird. I, I don't remember ever seeing a Bush ad on TV. Okay, so uh, the last topic we want to cover real quickly is uh, Daniel Johnson asked about, can we please discuss the Hall of Fame? Did they get the selections right? Who are the biggest snubs? Could this year's selections help other players who have had trouble getting recognition? And I think I X'd out of my tab that I was going to use with all of the people that made the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, Let's see if I can find the class real quick. Uh, LaDainian Tomlinson was in it, right? Uh, Jason Taylor, Kurt Warner, um, Terrell Davis. The finalists for the um, 2017 oh, again, Hall of Fame class. Uh, all of these sports channels, stop starting videos when I'm trying to go to your website. <laughs> um, who else was in it? Jerry Jones and then... There was that older guy, um, um, Kenny, Easley. Kenny Easley. Yep, yep. was from there. So um, if we missed a few, um, sorry about that. But uh, what were your thoughts initially on the draft class? Yeah, I, I like it. I, I could tell you anything about Kenny Easley. I know the name, but I couldn't tell you much about him. I only had like a seven-year career from what I could see here. It's just that was a little strange, but yeah. Um, but I, I love seeing Kurt Warner and LaDainian Tomlinson obviously deserves it. The only one that I was really like kind of in was Jason Taylor. I, I, I'm i okay with him getting in. I just There's a lot of guys that aren't in there that I, I feel like maybe are ahead of him, but what I would, didn't have a huge problem with that. Mm-hmm. Um I guess I'm still in the camp of believing that Terrell Owens should have been a first balloter and shouldn't be having so much trouble. But um, can I, I guess I can kind of understand some of the critique and some of the reasons why. But I think that there haven't been, you know, a handful of receivers that I've seen over my time watching football that have been better than him. No, and they've put in guys like Andre Reed and some of these others that weren't as dominant as Terrell Owens and don't have as good numbers as Terrell Owens because. Outside of Jerry Rice and Randy Moss, nobody does. Uh, Marvin Harrison as well in the history of the league. I mean, he he was a dominating receiver. And so, yeah, I don't get that one at all. And if it's just because he had an attitude problem, um, get over it. He never was in trouble with the law. He was just kind of an annoying jerk. And that's not a crime. (laughs) So I don't quite understand it. Although it's not going to help his case that he, for the second year in a row, was bellyaching on Twitter about how wronged he was. Yeah, right. Um, Jason Taylor, yeah, I was kind of iffy on him at first, but he was on the all-decade team, and he won a Defensive Player of the Year award, so I think that's about as good as you can get. Uh, He's really high up in the sacks, so I think that's about as good as you can get from his position. Um, I'm glad to see Terrell Davis in. Pretty much for the entire existence of this podcast, I've been arguing for Terrell Davis to get in, and he was able to do so. Uh, Kurt Warner, I put on it my top 10 quarterbacks list of all time. Obviously, if he's if I think he's that good, he uh, not that my opinion means that much, but I would agree with his induction into the Hall of Fame if I put him on that list. Yeah, you also had like Jim Everett on that list, though. So I did. Uh, uh, Bernie Kosar, I had him on there. <laughs> uh, Steve Berline in the Carolina years, top 10 as well. <laughs> the one I wanted to bring up, so and this goes to the point of um, Daniel Johnson asking this year's selections helping out players who've had trouble getting in. You mentioned Kenny Easley. He had a very short career, uh, but he did have uh, five Pro Bowls, three All Pros, and he was uh, the safety opposite Ryan Ryan Lot, Ronnie Lot on the '80s All Decade team. So that's why he got on there. But the thing that bothers me is uh, initially I thought this would be good news for Leroy Butler. 
that he has kind of a similar pedigree, so maybe he's got a chance to get on there. But Leroy Butler didn't even make the semifinals. But Steve Atwater, Brian Dawkins, John Lynch, and Darren Woodson all did. And in a few years, Troy Polamalu and Ed Reed are going to be eligible. And I just don't understand, and maybe they'll change their mind, but Leroy Butler has, if we're, we're comparing him to Brian Dawkins, John Lynch, Darren Woodson, Steve Atwater, and Kenny Easley, the other safeties that were even considered this year, Leroy Butler's got the most interceptions out of that group. He's got more sacks than Anybody but Brian Dawkins. Uh, Dawkins has 26 sacks. Leroy Butler has 20 and a half, but Dawkins played four more seasons. Um, Leroy Butler's got a championship, went to another Super Bowl, and he has four first-team All-Pros, and the only other one who has that is Brian Dawkins, and he was on the 90s All-Decade team. What the heck does this guy have to do to get more consideration? I don't understand it. Yeah, it's a weird one because he's not on a team that wasn't successful, which you'll see a guy with that kind of production that, is just maybe not on a contender that will get left out, but he was on a Super Bowl team and was one of the best players on that team, which usually validates all that success. So he had everything you're looking for. Um, it, it, it's really strange. I, maybe he just needs to get into the media and back in the public spotlight for two years, and he'll get it no problem. Yeah, because that's probably how John Lynch got, you know, the consideration. And yeah, um, I'm hopeful. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's much better than John Lynch. I think anybody who watched both careers would take him over him or Darren Woodson or any of those guys. I think he's a far better pro. Yeah, what is the most memorable play of John Lynch or Steve Atwater or Brian Dawkins' career? I, I think Dawkins caught the punt interception in the 4th and 26 game from Brett Favre, but did he invent the Lambeau leap, or did he get a sack in the Super Bowl while being blocked by another guy and essentially tackling the blocker and the quarterback in the Super Bowl? I mean, Leroy Butler has a much more memorable career, even in terms of our old pals, the lazy sports fan that doesn't remember anything uh, or... or bothers to look up statistics and just thinks of memorable plays. What's more memorable than inventing the Lambeau Leap? Yeah. So, and yeah, it's, yeah. It's, he's a weird one. It doesn't seem to fit the normal molds. No, maybe he just needs more, uh, I don't know, but people need to talk about him more. Or, like you said, needs to, it seems like the gateway to the Hall of Fame, which is really troubling, is that you need to be in the media. I mean, look at the guys that were uh, in the Hall of Fame this year. What, three of them work for the NFL Network? Yeah, yep, you're right. Yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, Kurt Warren, Tomlinson, Jason Taylor, uh, TD, I think they're all doing stuff. Um, John Lynch was Jerry the, Jones yeah. is on your TV every day if you ever watch ESPN, <laughs> too, so. Yeah, and and John Lynch is the second-ranked uh, color commentator in Fox, and now he's going to be the general manager of the 49ers. Do you think that has a chance to be Matt Millen-esque with uh, John Lynch out in San Francisco? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. <laughs> At least he seems a lot more intelligent than, than Matt Millen. But, I mean, he just hired a guy with no experience on it and just taking a crack at it. It's kind of exciting, I guess, but you think there's a pretty high failure percentage on that. Yeah, you would think so because, you know, at least, um, yeah, I don't know. Matt Millen was a weird hire. But I think people forget that he he was a pretty good commentator, and he still is on the Big Ten Network. But um, Oh, he's the worst. Oh, I, I disagree. I really I really like Matt Millen, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's one of my least favorites of all time. So that okay. All time? He's the worst. I, I kind of, he had disappeared for so long, and then he's back on the Big Ten, and I just can't handle it. Well, he's super old now. I mean, maybe you got to go back and listen to some of those 90s games. It's just like, well, and that's when I started my hatred for Matt Millen. I, th- I think the thing I hate so much is he just, he created the mold for this, 
this big chubby like former player and out like color announcer that always just goes and 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 just like stutters before every sentence and then just seems to say something that doesn't make any sense it's just like it seems like there's been so many mad millions since him and i hate all of them like bill moss and brian balding yeah all those darn guys they're all the same guy and i feel like he was kind of the mold for that well i think if anybody's to blame for that it's john madden because i I was thinking that too i that's kind of his technique i suppose as well but I, i don't know he was a little more entertaining i guess i feel like it's better than what Phil Simms started. I mean, we got lucky with Troy Aikman, but you have all these other guys like John Lynch who don't say anything over the course of a game and just are kind of there saying, oh, oh boy, yeah, I tell you what, what a play. Like, I'd rather <laughs> have Matt I, I, Millen. I'll still take less talking than more of Matt Millen. Uh, I, I guess I appreciate the passion more than him having insightful points <laughs> if you're going to be... And, and obviously, I, I don't like him as much as someone who actually has both, but... Um, if I had to choose between uh, Matt Millen and a uh, Phil Sims type, I think I'll I'll put my support behind Millen. Sure. Okay, so uh, that about wraps it up for our coverage of the Super Bowl week and all of those different uh, things that happened uh, during the game. Certainly a classic game. Would you say this was a top ten Super Bowl? Oh yeah, I think you have to. I mean, we we saw a twenty five point comeback, which is more than twice as much as we've ever seen before, and an overtime game. It's got to be, I would think, probably top five. Yeah, I think I would agree with you there, and I was thinking a little bit about how, when I was a kid, I used to read all of the Super Bowl recaps, and I had this, like, written-for-kids book that had the first 30 Super Bowls, and I would memorize them, and I would learn about all the players, but most of those games, until probably the mid-90s, were terrible, absolutely awful games, and since about 1995, all of the Super Bowl, or not all of them, but most of the Super Bowls, there's only a handful that haven't been great, great games. And so it's it's exciting that um, most of the bad of Super Bowl history happened before we were fans watching in real time. Okay, but now that the season's over, that means that the Goldies are coming up. So our next episode will be the Goldies. Um, so we're going to have the ballot up right after this podcast. It'll be linked within the podcast. We actually have some new categories. And once again, the letters, the faxes, I mean, we've been getting deliveries from Western Union. If they even exist, somehow they still have been delivering Goldie uh, people wanting to be the host of the Goldie Awards. And so we'll have to see who the host ends up being. But it, this is the most fierce competition we've had in our fifth year of goldies uh, of the five years there's never been a more knockdown drag out competition to see who would host this year yeah i can't wait to see it it's gonna be a shocker i'm sure oh i you i'm always blown away by whoever they whoever they choose yeah it and this year promises to be even more incredible so um definitely tune in for that a uh, vote on uh, the facebook page we'll have it up there we'll also share it on the green and gold forever site i'll uh, pin it on twitter so there's no excuse there's tons of different places to go and we got a couple of new awards this year that even ask for your help in creating an award so uh, that's going to be a whole lot of fun um matt any other remarks that you want to see uh, now there's another season over and uh just like that it's gone and now we got to wait another six months for meaningful football Nope, just uh, I, I'm good for about a month here on just being done thinking about football for a little bit, After, especially after this season that was, I think, hard on all of us Packer fans, just so many emotions and ups and downs. I, I'm ready for to step away for a, a quick break, but I know come March I'll just be desperate for just a second of like <laughs> draft coverage or something, reading draft 
mock drafts constantly and things. So I, I'm ready for a little break from the season. Yeah, I think I agree with you there, but uh, we'll all probably be feeling the hurt. Uh, at least we have the NCAA tournament to, that's right around that time when it kicks in. And luckily for me, I'm, I'm a pretty big baseball fan, so I get excited about opening day. I miss football, but I at least have something to fill that void where uh, you just got, what, like hockey playoffs and stuff. Hockey, basketball, I'm, I'm good usually. Um, until, you know, like come June when all that stuff's done and then you just have baseball because I'm the asset and I don't like baseball. So to me, that's the, the period where I have nothing to watch for a couple of months for sports. I love baseball and it's still depressing in July when there's literally nothing else but baseball. And, and by July, you start to see the teams that are good and you start to get eager to see them play each other and you realize you still have three months before the playoffs. So yeah. that's a, that's a dark time even for baseball fans. <laughs> At least it's nice out, right? Right, yeah, that's right. I don't, you don't have to watch sit, sit inside and watch sports as much. You can go out and do other stuff. Yeah. All right, so thank you very much, everyone, for another uh, great season of Green and Gold Forever, and we'll hit you up for the Goldies. And uh, it's our fifth annual Goldies, and we're real excited about that. And thank you so much for the support um, over five years um, on this show. And uh, we'll have the Goldies probably in a couple of weeks. Um, and hopefully we'll still remember what the season was like by then. But uh, um, So definitely fill out the ballot. And uh, if you want to catch up on any of the action from 2016 that we'll be discussing on the Goldie Awards, our complete archives are accessible at uh, greengoldforever. That's the number four, dot .podbean.com. You can also uh, hit us up on the Podbean app and follow us on there. So right on your mobile device, you get the complete archives of Green and Gold Forever. You can also follow us on iTunes. And iTunes puts a cap on the number of episodes that they'll host at once for us, but uh, you can still get quite a bit of the uh, 2016 season, including the entire Run the Table era of this year, so you can listen to that on your iTunes uh, podcasting app. Uh, definitely follow us on Twitter at Green Gold Forever, and uh, you can also interact with us on the Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast on Facebook. Thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in. Another season's in the books, and uh, the Goldie Awards to come. Take care, everyone.